You guys can grab a seat. Man, I'm so excited to be sharing from God's word with you. The start of the brand new year. I thought, you know, I'd, I'd start with a little story about myself. When uh, the first sermon I ever preached, okay? The first sermon I ever preached, and uh, I was nine years old. And just to give you a little bit of a setup, I just want you to know this about me. Whenever I do something for the first time, I have this irrational level of hope, okay? This irrational optimism where I say to myself before I do this, what if this is my thing? What if this, I'm just a natural at this. I remember the first time I golfed, okay? First time I ever took, before I ever took the swing, I thought to myself, what if, what if this is my thing? What if I'm the next Indian Tiger Woods? That's how irrational I am, okay? And it turns out I was just like the next Indian bad golfer, okay? And so the first time I preached a sermon, I was, I was nine years old. It was a preaching competition at my church, and my pastor had written the sermon for me. So it was like an easy bucket, right? Like I just had to read what was on the sheet, okay? I remember I went up there. We have five minutes. I'm in, out in front of everyone. There's a podium in front of me. And at the very beginning, I look down, and I, I see everyone, I look down at my notes, and it's like the words just disappeared. Like all the words were gone. And eventually, I just stood up there for like five minutes, just breathing heavy. <gasps> just like doing that. And in our church, I don't know about you guys growing up, in my church, there was a men's section and a women's section, okay? It's just like how the bathrooms work. It's separate, okay? Uh, don't be confused. And so as soon as I got done, the, the timer went off, it dinged, and my time was up. I ran off the stage, and I went, and I sat in the women's section. And I sat right next to my sister, because I was, like, needing comfort, right? And one of my sister's friends, a little girl who's just a few years older than me, looks at me, and she's trying to give me words of encouragement. And I'll never forget what she said to me in that moment to comfort me. She looks at me, and she says, Samson, you must be so embarrassed right now. That's how she comforted me. And I share that with you uh, because that was my first sermon, okay, at my home church. But uh, this is actually what the passage we're about to look at is the first sermon Jesus preaches at his home church, okay? At this point, Jesus, just to give you a little bit of context, Jesus has been tempted by the devil out in the wilderness, fasted for 40 days. He comes full of the Holy Spirit. He's preaching in synagogues all over the place. And finally, he gets an invite from his home church and says, hey, come preach here. And so that's where we pick up Luke chapter four, verse 16. It says this, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. I love this about Jesus. Every single week, you could find Jesus on the Sabbath where? At church, right? That's, that was his custom, just like Pastor Rodney was talking about with Daniel, right? And, and, and here is Jesus preaching his first sermon to his home church. It says, he stood up and read, verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight 
for the blind, to set the oppressed free, in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I don't know if that was a New Year sermon for Jesus, but that's a great title for a New Year sermon, right? The year of the Lord's favor. But it, I just want to don't get your hopes up, okay? Because this sermon doesn't turn out great, okay? Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. So this was the posture of a teacher in Jesus' day. They would sit down to teach, just like this. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Verse 21, he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is pretty cool if you think about this for a second, right? This is a messianic passage from the Old Testament and the Messiah is literally saying, you can go ahead and check that one off, complete it, right? That is what's happening. But as Jesus begins to preach, it's, an, it's amazing to see the progress of the people as they're listening to Jesus. At first, they are amazed at Jesus. They're just blown away. They can't get enough of him. They're like, we know him, right? They're just blown away. But then they're taken back, and they're a little offended by him. They start saying, wait, isn't this Joseph's kid? We know him. Who does he think he is? And then by the end of the sermon, the Bible says that they push him out of the synagogue and they take him to a cliff in order to throw him off the cliff. Listen, if the sermon ends with you trying to push the pastor off the cliff, something went wrong somewhere. And that's what's going on. And I heard an old preacher say this one time. I wrote it down. He said, the gospel comforts the afflicted, and afflicts the comfortable. The gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. And what's happening here is that there are some folks that are getting really uncomfortable at Jesus. And you might say, well, what about what Jesus just said is uncomfortable? It sounds all pretty good to me, right? Jesus is saying, I've come to set the prisoner free, to heal the sick, to make the blind see those all sounds like great things, like the favorable year of the Lord, all great things. Why would they be so offended? Well, I want to look at this. Look at verse 19. Uh, verse 19, uh, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's quoting Isaiah 61. But if you read Isaiah 61, actually what it's supposed to say is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comma, and the day of the vengeance of our God. And Jesus turns that comment into a period and he completely omits the vengeance part. Once again, I'm thinking that's pretty good. But to the children of Israel in this time, that day of vengeance was a pretty big deal. It meant that God was gonna take care of their enemies, that this new Messiah is gonna show up and he's gonna wipe away these Romans and these Gentiles and all these enemies of Israel. He's gonna take care of all their problems. And that's what they were looking forward to. But Jesus, in his sermon, if you keep reading, Jesus goes on to say, not only am I not going to wipe away those enemies that you have, but those enemies that you have are eventually going to get saved. He says that in the sermon. And that makes them uncomfortable. They don't like that. I mean, who wants to see people we don't like getting saved? 
right? Like Eagles fans? Listen, you all have your Eagles fans, okay? But that's what's happening. They would rather just the people we like to get saved. Jesus, his message is offensive to them. But the second thing that's offensive is his person. Who he is is offensive to them, right? It makes them uncomfortable because they know him. That's Joseph's son. We know him. And they are familiar with Jesus. And that familiarity, man, that comfort, all of that is being challenged. They were too familiar to have faith in him. They were too familiar to have faith in him. Like, how many of you guys know somebody that you knew them too well as a kid to take them seriously as an adult? Like, you may be a medical doctor now, but I remember when you stuck Tic Tacs up your nose, okay? Like, we all know somebody like that. And they're looking at Jesus and saying, you know what? We know you. And that familiarity was too comfortable for them. So they rejected Jesus. They said, you're just Joseph's son. And we do this too, don't we? Right? Like we misconstrue Jesus and the gospel with things that are kind of on the peripheral that aren't really Jesus and the gospel, and we get offended by those things. Like we all know somebody that doesn't come to church anymore because they're mad at who their parents voted for. We all know somebody that doesn't come to church or doesn't like Jesus anymore because some Christian one time said something that hurt their feelings. But it's not just that. That's one kind of familiar. There's also the kind of familiarity that comes from, you know what, I come to church every single week. I grew up with this stuff. I read my Bible, I pray. And that kind of familiarity cheapens our relationship with Jesus. And so the familiarity gets in the way of our faith. It's dangerous. See, when we get too comfortable with Jesus, Jesus becomes our homeboy, and we forget that he's really holy. And that's what's happening. So they reject Jesus. But I wanted you to look at another passage. So uh, this is our, from our scripture reading today, Luke chapter 5, the story of Jesus and Peter. And if you remember this story, this is when Jesus is out. Uh, he's preaching. There's so many people following him. He asks Peter if he can get on his boat. Y'all remember the story? He says, can I get on your boat and preach? And so he gets out on the boat and he's preaching to the people on the beach. And then he looks at Peter at the end of the sermon. And he says, hey, throw the net on the other side. And Peter's like, you know, we've been fishing all night, Jesus, but because you said it, you, you remember that part, right? Then they catch a bunch of fish. Verse eight, it says, when Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, why would he say that? Isn't he doing the same thing that those people did in the synagogue? They're just pushing Jesus away. Isn't, isn't Peter just pushing Jesus away? It would seem like that, but they have two radically different revelations of who Jesus is. In the synagogue, they saw Jesus, the homeboy, the person we grew up with. And that made them uncomfortable to see him as anything less than that or anything more than that. But when Peter is sitting on a boat 
with Jesus. He doesn't see Jesus the homeboy. He sees Jesus the holy son of God. And it makes him uncomfortable because he realizes I am a sinner. Listen, if you were ever a person that has said to yourself, you know what, I don't think I can go to church today. I messed up too much last night. You could relate with Peter. Or if you say, you know, I feel bad about praying because I sinned, I messed up. You could relate with Peter. Because Peter's saying, Lord, get away from me. But watch what Jesus says, verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So here's the Peter that is trying to push Jesus away and he's actually nearer to Jesus than ever before following after him. What changed? Let me give you a better version of familiar. A better version of familiar is nearness, not knowledge. A better version of familiar is nearness, not knowledge. Knowledge, you could know Jesus and not love him. You could know Jesus and literally want to push him off a cliff. We just read that. But nearness, that is something different. To be near to him, to be both discomforted by him and comforted by him, that is something different. You know, uh, this last week, my wife was sick, and so it was me and the boys for the most part. And uh, every morning I'd wake up early and I'd just sit in my chair figuring out how I'm gonna make it for the day, okay? And uh, you know, I, I don't have any favorite kids, okay? I have two boys, a four-year-old, two-year-old, Charlie and Louie. I don't have any favorite kids, but you know, my wife is expecting in April a girl, so I might have a favorite in April. <laughs> but until then, no favorites. But my, my youngest, my two-year-old, does this thing this week that just blew me away. Every single morning as I'm sitting there waiting for the day to start, Louie will come to me in the morning and he'll crawl into my lap. Still got little crusties in his eyes and he'll nuzzle up next to me and then he'll get up and he'll kiss me on the cheek. He even makes the kissing sound. He goes, just like that. And then he'll look at me and he says, Daddy, I love you. And it just blows me away. And I remember the other day he did that he kissed me on the cheek and said, I love you, Daddy. And I could, I could tell, because it was morning time, something smelt off. <laughs> and I look at Louie and I said, Louie, did you poop? And he says, yeah. <laughs> and then he says, Daddy, can you change me? And so I walk my two-year-old over to the changing table, change his diaper. While I'm changing his diaper, he says, Daddy, I love you. And I just melted. And I would imagine it's uncomfortable uh, when you've soiled yourself to come and be near someone. But when you're a two-year-old, you need to be near to your dad in those moments. And isn't it true that when we've sinned and we've messed up, it is really uncomfortable to be at Jesus' feet? It is really uncomfortable. That is the moment that we are like, I really don't want to pray right now. I really don't want to talk about 21 days of prayer and fasting. I really don't want to come to church this morning because I messed up. I sinned. I don't deserve this. I, I, 
You know what that is? That is a recognition that you have a holy God. But you can't stop there. Because the gospel comforts the afflicted, but it afflicts the comfortable. And so that part of you that hurts, that is being afflicted, because you're dealing with the holy God, that's good. And it's when you come to him in those moments, it's actually in those moments you need to come to him the most. When you need him the most is in those moments. When you feel at your worst, at your most sinful, that you draw near to him. So if you're here right now, let me give you an encouragement. Whatever you're feeling, come near to Jesus. Come near to him. And you will experience a love that will change you that will transform you unlike anything else in this world. Here's what I'm gonna ask everyone to stand right now. Our prayer team's gonna make their way to the front. If you need prayer, if you're online, there's a number on the screen, but here's what I wanna challenge you with. Maybe you're here and you just need to feel the love of Jesus. And you just need to feel that near, that nearness that he brings. I'm gonna challenge you just to come forward and receive prayer. Have somebody pray and believe with you. Maybe you just need to feel him near to you. Maybe you feel like, hey, I I just need a little bit of encouragement. Text that number. Have somebody follow, have pray with you. Believe with you. Can I pray over you? Father, right now, I pray over our church. I pray as we start this new year that we would be believers Lord Jesus, is so radically impacted by your holiness that we see our sinfulness and that we come to you for change. Lord Jesus, that we follow after you, that we leave it on the altar and we chase after you, God. And I just pray, Father, that we would be a church, Lord Jesus, that'd be set afire for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may come forward for prayer.